Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear and want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just €29, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of What Matters, the podcast from Foresight, Climate and Energy. I'm David Weston and joining me today once more is Michaela Hall from Agora Energy Vendor and Jan Rosenau of the Regulatory Assistance Project. Hi team, are you both well? Hello, uh, I'm, I'm well. Um, I'm uh, having visitors uh, over right now with little kids and I forgot how exhausting it is uh, to have you know, toddlers in the house, but I, I send them out. So I, hopefully they're not returning um, uh, during the recording and we have a, a nice and peaceful conversation. I'm kids free and I'm fine. Looking forward to the conversation. It's been a while we talked yes it has been a while since we talked yeah i'm i have a 20 month old jan so i absolutely um sympathize with having a toddler running around the house um but i can't send mine away um this week on what matters a growing trend within the energy transition is the use of energy communities collectives of neighbors and nearby residents and end users coming together to promote and source renewable energy for their own benefit Yet this shift away from the traditional centralized energy system brings with it its own set of challenges. Our guest on the podcast this week is Anna Francis, a project manager with a particular interest in energy communities from Energy Cities, a European association of local authorities working on the energy transition. Hi, Anna. Thanks for joining us uh, today on the podcast. I hope my description of an energy community was accurate, but perhaps you could give us a better definition of what an energy community is. Uh, Yeah, sure. There's really quite a wide range of different types of energy communities. It can be just a few neighbours getting together to share uh, energy from energy produced by their solar panels, for example, to really large, well-established energy cooperatives that um, provide renewable energy and energy efficiency. Um, The main thing about these these communities is that their sort of ethos, their main reason, raison d'être, is that they want to do something around environmental and social and local economic benefits rather than just uh, profit. Um, and they also uh, ensure that uh, local people are in control, uh, citizens and cooperatives and local authorities, and they're the ones that are making the decisions. So it's also about sort of local energy democracy. Anna, if I could jump in, you said in the pre-meeting that we had that you're really passionate about this subject of energy communities. And I think it would be interesting for our listeners to hear why. You know, why do you think energy communities play such an important role in the energy transition and why do you feel so passionate about them? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I personally, I'm hugely passionate about energy communities. I've been involved directly uh, in setting one up in the UK, for example, and it was just incredible to see the power of people coming together to, to relocalize and to create a uh, clean, renewable energy. So in the project I was involved in, um, we launched a community share issue uh, to put on solar panels on the local medical practice and on the football club. And we were told, yeah, you'll need about, you know, five or six weeks to get people to to invest, to to meet your funding targets. And actually, we met it in four days. We raised 300,000 euros or pounds uh, in in four days because everybody was like, right, I want to be part of this. I want to put, I want to do something good with my money and get a good return and feel like I'm doing something to, uh, to address the climate issues. Um, and so it really is for me, yeah, a win-win situation. And in the context of climate change, you know, there's so much doom and gloom because, you know, as we know, there's such limited time for us to make a difference. Whereas for me, energy communities, they're really a beacon of hope. They're something we can all get involved with and really do in a tangible way in our local communities to relocalize, to create <clears throat> social benefit um, and to feel like we're yeah, taking positive action uh, in this really, really vital area. Uh, have you come across an example where basically setting up such a community helped convincing people that before were opposing an invest, like say for example a wind park uh, in their area? Do, are you aware of one of those that once they were involved and once they saw they would get the benefits that 
the mood changed? Uh, yes, definitely. I know that ECLO in Belgium, for example, um, that the municipality did a tender and said they wanted community energy to be part of, of their transition process and their local, en- their local energy projects. Um, and through that, they managed to set up community-owned wind projects through EcoPower. And as a result, they had no local opposition, which, as you may be aware, is pretty rare with wind turbines as often. So it particularly initially when it's first proposed, you know, local residents going, oh, no, I'm not sure about this. Um, whereas with uh, with local community energy projects, because the communities are involved, they're often involved right from the outset, looking at where it could be, really getting yeah involved in the governance, looking at how the local benefits will work. Um, that makes a massive difference in terms of community engagement and, and involvement and acceptance of these different projects. How can we get communities more involved in generating their own power? And why is this important? And there are many ways to get involved in generating your own power, and you don't necessarily need, you know, a large roof or lots of capital investment. Um, the first port of call is to look at uh, a map and see whether you've got any local uh, energy communities active in your area that you can link in with. Uh, talking to the local municipality is also really important because often they have opportunities for citizens to get involved in the energy uh, efficiency and renewable energy production. Uh, processes um, and then if there isn't something in your local local community depending on how motivated you are and how much time you have um, there is it's really not that difficult to set up an energy community with a group of motivated neighbors for example or linking with the municipality there's so much you can do and there's already so many brilliant examples and tools there's no you know there's no need to start from scratch you can build on what's already there and really get things set up pretty quickly so I would really really recommend uh, yeah looking at what's available in the local area already. And if there isn't something, seeing what seeing what you could do. Um, and then in terms of the importance uh, of doing this, I mean, this whole community ownership uh, pro- movement is creating jobs. Um, it's boosting local investment. Um, there was a study done recently uh, in France by Energie Partagée that found that for a community energy project that generates two and a half times more investment in the local community compared to a privately owned project, for example, because it's really about buying local services and using local installers, for example, um, it, yeah, providing services such as education. Most energy com- communities and, and cooperatives, they do a lot of outreach and engagement around energy efficiency and also really work with citizens and others to tackle energy poverty. Um, and again, it's about local democracy and local ownership and involvement. So it's also a way of, of enabling communities to, to, to participate in the long term and also looking at things like price volatility. When you've got community involvement and, uh, and, and um, values uh, incorporated into the governance, that makes a massive difference. And, you know, you're not just going to have a, a big corporation that suddenly comes in and then it massively increases the prices. It's about energy resilience. Um, I, uh, I remember the discussions around uh, not this time, but the previous time when the Renewables Energy Directive was reviewed and this concept of energy communities was integrated. And uh, yeah, and the hope and the motivation was exactly what you just said, this democratization and allowing them to be part of the benefits. Um how does it look today? I mean, it's a simple question, but do we now see energy communities in all 27 EU member states or are there still some blank spots or like what has happened since in in the EU and how many communities do we have? If you know the number, how many do we have in Europe at the moment? Uh, it's definitely is a hugely evolving uh, process and it's been great to see over the last sort of, four or five years the massive, massive interest and uptake of energy communities. Um, and they are now present in most member states, um, but the member states are in different um, processes in terms of their transition uh, transition process, which is the legislation that enables uh, energy communities to to work in the different countries, um, it varies between yeah dif- the different member states. Um, so in some countries, for example, um, uh, in Greece, for example, there's there's thousands of energy communities now, whereas in other areas, for example, in Croatia, there's only a few. So it really varies country uh, by country. I'm involved in the um, in the EU's uh, energy communities repository. Um, and we have a website that that maps all of the different communities um, uh, in in Europe, um, and yeah, you can see there's over ten thousand different communities and more and more joining every week. So it really is a hugely 
developing area. Um, and there's a huge potential for more to be done, particularly, for example, in, in Eastern Europe and in the Balkans. And we're, we're involved in some projects there to really kind of help build the build the movement. Um, but the legislation and the, and the regulations are a key, key thing. Um, and that can sometimes, you know, that reduces the uh, the opportunities in in the different countries. So it's not a it's not a level playing field at the moment. I know there, there there must be many different types of energy communities out there, and you mentioned some examples um, already. And it would be useful, I think, for people who have not really worked on energy communities before and haven't come across them to understand a bit better what this can look like. I mean, are we are we sort of talking about? Um, you know, community solar, or it, you know, it, it, is this about um, home retrofits, or, or what, you know, what? What actually are energy communities sort of doing? Um, what makes them an energy community? If you could give us some examples, I think that would really help um, to get a better understanding what we mean when we use the term energy community. Yeah, sure. Um, there really is a huge, huge range of different projects and different approaches uh, in energy communities. And it ranges from, as you say, obviously, uh, community solar is one of the, the key areas where these communities are active because it's a relatively simple kind of system to set up an energy uh, community energy uh, project using solar panels. And we have amazing examples. For example, we're working with the Minoan Energy Cooperative in Crete, where they've actually put solar panels on uh, part of the island and they're enabling some of their citizens on low incomes to have free energy. There are lots of other examples where they're not necessarily free energy, but certainly discounted energy from these solar panels uh, for low income households. But there's also um, there's projects around heating. So, for example, in Denmark, where it's much more developed, this whole movement on the island of Samsel, um, district heating is is mainly in the hands of there's 50 municipality municipally owned entities and 340 energy cooperatives uh, managing the their sustainable district heating system. Uh, we have examples in Belgium, where, for example, in Padua Power, they um, uh, decided to redo all the street lighting to become more energy efficient and they got the citizens to invest in that and so the city was able to get new investment into the city and then the citizens get a good return on that and also were involved in the whole process. Um, in Krzyzewski in Croatia, um, they, the municipality offered its roof and got an energy community to put solar panels on the roof and then set up an um, energy advisory bureau where people can go down and get information about how to reduce the energy bills, how to hopefully get out of fuel, uh, fuel energy poverty. Um, there's a, a brilliant example that I came across recently in Greece called Wenkoop, which is um, a women-led energy community um, because uh, yeah, mainly it's mainly men that are involved uh, often in um, in the in energy industry and also uh, in energy communities that women are actually underrepresented. Uh, and so far, they they only set up a couple of years ago. They've got community solar projects, but they've also trained over five hundred women on energy efficiency. And then those women are then working with other communities and other households to enable them to reduce their energy bills. Um, but it's not just about um, uh, solar and, and energy, uh, direct energy production. Uh, it's also around energy efficiency. So I've got some friends working at Selkie, Southeast London Energy Community, where they do a huge amount around energy efficiency advice, again, working with uh, communities, particularly in, in living in energy poverty. Um, and then there are yeah district heating systems. There is a wide range, for example, in, in, there's Energy Citoyenne in, in Grenoble, where they're using community biomass to heat buildings. Um, but it's not just it's not just energy. It's also transport, for example. Uh, and there's a, an example in Belgium, which is called Batajou, uh, where they have an electric car sharing scheme, which is run by the energy community. Um, yeah, as I say, there's really quite a wide range. Anything from heating to energy efficiency to retrofits to transport. But the main thing about them is that they're set up for this community and environmental benefit. You know, they have to create an income to sustain themselves, obviously. Um, but they also, but, but the main thing is that they are embedding this community um, approach. And are we talking about? Um, you've you've given a, a number of different examples there, Anna. It sounds really interesting. Are we talking about sort of urban communities or uh, more rural communities, and or, or both? And sort of, but they slightly differ in, in respect of what they can achieve depending on where they're located. 
Um, yes, so they are, there are active communities in both urban and rural um, environments. Um, in urban areas, they, it can, in, they're basically different, different opportunities and challenges in each area. Um, in a city, for example, you've got a lot of roof space. Uh, you've got potentially quite a lot of density to enable things like district heating systems to be more co cost effective. So that's those seem to be the kind of main and transport. Also, things like car sharing, like the electric car sharing scheme I just mentioned, that's more economically viable in an urban area. Um, on in a rural area, obviously, you've got a lot more space um, and there are different projects, for example, putting solar panels, community owned solar panels on old landfill sites. There's also more space, there's more agricultural activities. So there's opportunities around um, community owned biomass and biogas production. Um, there is often, I mean, hydro can be possible in an urban environment, but it's often in a more rural um, location. Um, yeah, it's it. it there are overlaps, but there are definitely differences in terms of the different opportunities. Um, and the Energy Communities Repository that we I just mentioned, that, that has been supporting the movement in urban communities. And then there's also the Rural Community Energy Advisory Hub that's been supporting rural communities. So we work very closely together. But as you say, there is a difference between those two different areas, different opportunities and different challenges as well. Absolutely. And what sort of people are, are being involved in these communities? Is it local residents, community groups, or can businesses, uh, small and medium enterprises, but even maybe big uh, electricity users, uh, can they also become involved in that and, and sort of spread the benefits? There's definitely a role to play for, for everybody. Um, often the energy communities that are the most successful are the ones that work with the municipalities uh, to sort of set up and to put uh, renewable resources on their on their roofs, for example. So that's a really, really key stakeholder to be involved. Um, there's definitely a role for businesses too, obviously in terms of providing the services and the infrastructure. Um, and for larger larger energy users, that can also be really, really important in terms of financial viability. Um, I recently heard of a great project in the Netherlands where they're working, for example, um, with a large energy user, a data center, and they're basically using the waste heat from that data center to then set up um, a local community-owned uh, district heating system using that waste heat. So there's many different partnerships and different roles that that yeah the different stakeholders can play, and ideally everybody should be playing their playing their part. Uh, and the good thing about energy community projects is that it's not just a you know it's not just something you do for the for the benefit of the wider world, although there are so many benefits, but you generally get a good financial return as well, similar to that, or maybe even better than you get with having savings in a bank. So there's many, many reasons to get involved and for, for businesses to, to be investing in and getting involved too. Um, if I may come in, I, I'm surprised to hear uh, all the different models like e-mobility and even heating. So it seems that there's enough space for innovative models and different kind of things to emerge. And so um, so do you think the current framework is, is open enough or uh, are there things that still should be done. Um, and then I was also surprised that even people venture into investments into district heating grids because I always assume there you have such an amount of, you know, upfront investment costs that I, I'm surprised that, that a community would be able to, to do that. Um, and, and do you think more could be done, for example, from the EU level to support, uh, you know, financially such efforts because, the, you know, we need a lot more district heating, for example, or even more technical assistance. You were mentioning that there is some sort of uh, experience sharing already, but maybe it could go a step further even. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so it, there really is quite a really wide range of different activities. And I know myself having set up an energy community that even just having a small amount of seed funding at the beginning can make all the difference because you're often setting up these projects as a volunteer and so if even just having yeah a small investment of 500 to 1000 euros helps to cover some of those initial costs and really helps get get the uh, community off the ground um that is technical there has been some technical support for uh, energy communities through the initiatives that i mentioned and there will be a, a an energy community facility being set up over the next year or so which will also be providing um support um and one of the main things is 
is working with key stakeholders um, such as municipalities um, because that makes a massive difference. For example, the the, um, the community I mentioned in the Netherlands, they work with very closely with the municipality and it's because they found out from the municipality that some um, local roads were going to be dug up anyway for, I think it was for internet and for other services uh, upgrade. Um, and because that they were aware that that was happening, they were like, right, this is the perfect moment to be putting in the pipes for the district heating system. And so therefore they can share the costs uh, and really develop the project together. Because as you say, as a, particularly as a small new uh, energy community, you don't have, you know, millions of <laughs> millions of pounds to set up these, these new projects, um, particularly when you need infrastructure such as district heating. But in the UK, for example, I was involved um, in a community energy project that was working with a new development. And there we were working with the developers and they were going to be laying the pipes. And then the community energy uh, group was going to be owning and managing the uh, the production of the energy. So it's about partnership working, I would say, to, to get around uh, these these barriers well, and to reinforce and to, to, to be strengthening what we're all doing together. Um, and in terms of, of the sort of funding from, from the EU, it's been really, you know, the EU has been really, really supportive of this whole movement, which is brilliant. Um, we feel that it would be great to have more of a kind of national approach, really enabling all the stakeholders to work together and looking at what the different barriers and opportunities are there and how we can uh, leverage in support and funding um, at that level. And then we also really need more support at the city level, because often I know myself working at the municipality, you know, you're working on your own and you're like, oh, can I, you know, there's only so much you can do. And even just applying for the funding in the first place is, is a huge, is a huge challenge, particularly when you, you've got limited time and resources, which is the case in most municipalities. I mean, I was actually talking to a colleague the other day and they were saying that one of our members, Leon, um, did a huge transformation of one of their industrial areas, sort of derelict industrial areas over the last 20 years. And now it's an amazing sort of eco area, uh, mixed use, eco sustainable development. Um, but to, in a, to in or, sorry, in order for that to happen, they had to apply and, and win uh, 20 different European funding uh, projects. And so, you know, not every municipality has that that knowledge, that capacity, that those resources. So we really, yeah, we're really, really keen for uh, the EU to be supporting more, uh, yeah, more to be happening at the city level, and for really the cities and municipalities to be involved in the whole program, uh, funding programs to really sort of develop um, develop these ideas and to, to well to identify what they need the funding for and how we can develop that further. And the other. Sorry, just to finish this last bit. Um, the other thing is that with this funding is that often you get some funding for you know a few years, but then you're not necessarily at the stage where you can sustain it. So, really long-term funding that's really sort of mission-driven and that looks at looks at the whole the whole um, area because energy obviously is not just an energy communities are not just a silo. It has energy has a huge impact, as we said earlier, on mobility, on on heating, on social impacts. So we really need to um, on biodiversity, on land use, it's all interrelated. So we need sort of more, I'd say sort of yeah, mission based uh, programs that really enable this transition to, to be happening and really building on what's there's so much have so many good examples and so much yeah so many positive things that are happening so enabling the different municipalities and cities and and countries to be working together to share best practice and and build on what what's what's been happening and is there any evidence on where these energy communities take off uh, I mean, I'm, I'm asking the question because um, I have the suspicion that they might be particularly uh, prominent in places where you have um, perhaps um, above average um, income households, uh, where you might have uh, people who have higher levels of education. You know, is, is there a, sort of a, an equity bias potentially with energy communities or would you say, no, actually that is, is not the case and energy communities exist um, pretty much anywhere um, and they're, they're not sort of uh, uh, biased towards wealthier households um, you know, with higher levels of, of education. I uh, would be interested in, in, in that because clearly – it's yeah. It would be important that that uh, the benefits accrue to, to to especially those who would benefit the most, uh, which are which tend to be low income households. 
if I may add, um, this is also a bit the discussion in the currently ongoing market design reform where the, uh, um, another idea, the peer-to-peer trading and sharing was introduced. And there you have the same that basically some people say this will will be used by some people, but the grid costs have to be borne by all, right? Sure. Yes, in terms of, of the, where the energy communities are set up, I think, you know, you're probably right initially. Um, a lot of these energy communities are set up initially by, you know, people that have the time and the knowledge and the, the potentially some experience as well. Um, so that's been uh, sort of in the past where these, particularly where these communities have been set up. Uh, but saying that, that's really that was at the beginning of the movement. I feel like now there's much, much more interest and understanding and awareness um, at all, all different levels. And there are examples of communities to get into get, getting together, for example, in, in Brixton through the Repower uh, London project. Uh, and it's it's groups of social housing, people living in social housing that are then putting solar community solar on their roofs and then they're getting the direct benefit. So although initially I would say it's yeah probably mainly more hiring middle and higher income households that that are involved there's a there's a huge increase in uptake um with lower income communities and also even wet in areas for example the community that i was involved in in Froome, although obviously it was mainly the people that had some some surplus money that could invest um we made sure that all of all of our profits we're a not-for-profit organization, and so all of the profits go into a community fund that then funds activities around energy efficiency advice, around insulation, around putting solar panels on the local youth center, you know, really embedding those local benefits to the to those communities and households that, that need it most. So I would say that, yeah, it's definitely developing, and most communities have that you know they're aware that this is that not everybody can invest um, and be involved financially in these communities, and so they're looking at different ways that that lower income households can invest, can become members of the board, can take an active role, um, and can benefit from the activities of the energy community. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Um, thanks, thanks, Anna. Um, I, I actually lived in an energy community a long time ago, about um, uh, t- you know, almost twenty-five years ago. I lived on a on a small island called Pelvorm in the North Sea, um, qu- quite far up north in, in Germany. And uh, the goal at the time was very much um, to become um, autonomous. You know, autarky, um, energy autarky was sort of the the buzzword. You know, producing enough. Um, energy, electricity, actually, in that case, to be self-sustained, not needing um, to rely on on grid imports. Um, and I wonder to what extent that is still a vision for energy community projects, uh, or to what extent that has shifted, given that you know we no, no longer talk about these insular solutions, but really the transition of the entire energy system. And it goes far beyond electricity now. We're talking about, you mentioned heating already, but also transport uh, and industry. So I, I would be interested in your take, uh, Anna, to what extent this this idea of becoming independent, almost sort of off-grid, uh, is still is still there? Um, or, or to what extent it might have been replaced? Yes, that's an interesting question. I think you're right, again, um, whereas initially it may be, yeah, there might be more of a focus on energy self-sufficiency. Now it's more about you know, how we can enable all these projects uh, and these yeah, and energy generation to be more shared, I would say. Um, and as you say, it, 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 there's many cross-cutting themes. For example, um, I was involved in another, pro- well, we were working with an organization called Energy Local, um, and they were looking at, for example, how they can They've got uh, local hydro projects and local wind turbines, and they when the uh, energy is being produced, they then sell that to low-income households at a lower price. Um, but obviously, when you're supplying energy to a, to a community or to a town, for example, you know you don't have you don't necessarily you aren't necessarily able to provide all of that energy from your community projects. So then you also have to buy energy potentially on the market or work with other community energy projects and renewable energy producers. So I would say that, yeah, there's definitely um, a look, there's, there's more of a movement around how we can share the production and how we can reduce energy um, energy use in the first place um, and work together rather than just being a sort of isolated sort of like a green project that isn't sharing 
isn't sharing any of the energy with its with its neighbours. So yeah, peer to peer sharing, you know, sleeves, PPAs, and things like that, power purchase agreements that enable a producer to be a community energy project, for example, to sell its energy to an industrial user down the road. All of these things are, are much much more common now. Um, but saying that, obviously, with things like district heat, um, um, that's more of a localized um, a, a localized system that is harder to share on a sort of wider wider scale um, and I know for example we've been working uh, with uh, stakeholders in Cyprus for example and there they've got real issues with grid satura- saturation there isn't much capacity on the grids for new uh, community or for new projects generally new renewable energy projects um, and so the community energy projects they're looking at there are more focusing on sort of battery storage and how they can link that with mobility and things like that rather than connecting it necessarily to the grid because that's that's a huge challenge but i think you're right it's more about linking all of these things together and and sharing energy and different different approaches rather than being just a just an off-grid community if i may i wanted to build up on on jan's intervention and all you just uh, explained because i spent a lot of time over the past months uh, around the planning of the heat decarbonization and you know where basically um, we came to the conclusion you need some let's say national level overall framing you know for example to see how much biomass is available to be used for low heating purposes whereas if you just let bottom up decide you know the the added up amount might not be the most cost effective way um, and so I would want to ask you if you think that, um, well, first of all, what has been decided in the, in the recent revision of the Energy Efficiency Directive, that there should be obligatory municipal heat planning, Whether you, what do you think about it? I assume you would think that is a good good framing for you. Um, and, and whether you, you'd actually say that more emphasis would have to be put, well, first of all, maybe expanding beyond heat and integrate more and uh, provide more framing for for the local decisions, huh? like uh, I don't know, investing in a district heating, etc. Um, like what what is being done in the Netherlands, for example, the way they do it, where they frame the communities and their efforts to decarbonize the heat. Yes, I think we definitely need uh, the approach at all levels, and something like like heat is such a huge. Yeah, huge investment and a huge infrastructure that that looking at it at sort of national level and city level is really really important. As you say, that you know when you're setting up a, a community energy project, you don't necessarily know, you don't re- necessarily have the vision, the wider vision around what resources are available regionally or, or nationally. So having that national framework is really really important. Um, having the obligation around um, heat planning, I think, yeah, is really, really important. We urgently need to shift away from from fossil fuels. Uh, we only have a few years really left to, to start reducing all of our global climate um, carbon emissions. So we, yeah, we urgently need to have more sustainable district heating systems. We need to be looking at how we reduce demand as well, which is absolutely key. Uh, reducing uh, energy consumption, having more. Uh, basically everybody living in well-insulated homes that are easier to heat um, so that we can be reducing that in the first place. Um, I also, prior to working for the municipality, I worked in an eco-development called BedZed, and there they had basically eliminated energy poverty because the, the homes were so well-insulated, they reduced the need for space heating by 90%. It was just, it was hugely insulated and used thermal mass and solar gain uh, to heat. Um, and basically that meant that everybody could, there was no such thing, everybody could afford their, their energy bills, their, their heating bills. So we need to be looking at it holistically, looking at how we can reduce demand. And as you say, how these can, things can be organised nationally, but then with local participation and, and governance and, and control so that it's not just necessarily then taken on by yeah, a huge energy corporation that doesn't necessarily have social well-being and and the environment as its main motivations. Hi everyone, me again. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out, means we can make more shows like this and means more people can find us. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. 
head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. Yeah, thanks, Anna. Really interesting uh, stuff there. Are you seeing a change in society in the, uh, an interest in energy communities? Um, and how do you have you seeing a shift in how consumers are maybe taking an active role in where their energy is coming from? And is it a case that energy end users they no longer is it's no longer just an, uh, an expectation that when they turn the light on, the electricity is there, uh, and actually they're they're taking a more active role in where it comes from and how much they're paying for it. I've definitely seen uh, energy consumers taking a more active role and interest. And the climate crisis initially was helping to to raise awareness and engagement. And then the energy crisis over the last year or so has really reinforced that with huge uh, increase in, in energy prices. I mean, in the UK, for example, I'm sure you're aware, but the prices doubled in, in, over, in one year. So suddenly everyone was like, Oh, they just they basically take it for granted, don't you? You switch the light on, you know, you get your energy. Uh, and then suddenly there was, you know, there's thousands and thousands of households that can't afford the, the energy bills. So I think there's been a big increase in awareness and in terms of the community energy movement, a huge increase in understanding of the benefits of local, locally produced and locally owned uh, energy projects. Um, and that's been mirrored in a number of different community energy groups um, coming up. And then also, I mean, for example, in the UK, I was involved in a uh, project called Solar Streets, where the municipality basically promoted solar and enabled communities to, that, that signed up to do a bulk installation of solar panels. And we got about 100 households to sign up in the first few months because people were like, because when you're looking at putting it on solar panels, for example, you don't always know where to, to go or who to trust. But when you've got a municipality going, right, these guys are good. And if we get together, we can reduce the installation costs. It just makes a massive difference um, in terms of trust. And Energy Cities, we're doing a project in the Balkans, for example, where we're working with municipalities to get them to really be promoting solar and to have a, have a list of reliable contractors, for example, so that then people really can be like, right, okay, we realise now this, you know, we can trust this, we can we can go for it. Um, and these days, with the increased uh, increased energy costs, you know, the payback of solar panels, for example, can be five five years or less. So I think that's made a massive difference in terms of people thinking, right, I can actually do this. And other things around energy sharing, enabling enabling neighbours that do have solar panels to then sell that surplus energy affordably to their neighbours, that's made a massive difference as well. So I think it's something that people are suddenly, they took for granted in the past and now they're beginning to realise, oh my gosh, it's, it's really important and also the benefits of, of acting locally. And also with insulation, I know that in France, for example, there's a lot of support that you can get uh, for insulating your homes. And again, because of the energy crisis, uh, lots of homes are suddenly just like, right, I'm going <laughs> to, I signed up for energy audits. I live in France. I signed up for an energy audit last year. I had to wait nine months for the energy audit to take place. But then when I did, it's like there's so many different, um, there's so much help and information that you can get, which is, which is brilliant. So I think there's, yeah, there's a need for, for more support um, in these areas. And people are really, really keen now to to start integrating these these things into the, into their lives and becoming more of a prosumer rather than a consumer. And um, you you talk very passionately about energy communities and and clearly you know, they are taking off uh, across Europe. Um, but there could be a lot more of them potentially. And I wonder what what barriers exist that hold them back. And if you had a magic wand and you could change things uh sort of what what would you change you know what would help to really push energy communities to their full potential is there anything in particular you would call out uh, yeah sure so there are a range of different <laughs> challenges i would say um looking at it at the eu level for example so we've had the transposition process um of the, of the clean energy package, uh, which enables energy communities to be recognised, but that hasn't been transposed in the same way or to the same extent in different um, different countries. So, for example, I've been working with some um, community energy projects in Greece, and I know that in some areas of Greece, you have to live in a certain area within a certain distance of the project to be able to invest. You also have to, when you're setting up the energy community um, they have to the, all of the members have to be registered at a local um, uh, notaire. 
Um, whereas, for example, the community energy projects that we're working with um, in Crete, they don't have those regulations. So there's, it varies even just on a national scale, this, the, way, the way that the, the legislation has been implemented. And so we really need things to be more standardized and much, much more easy, you know, less regulatory hurdles. So, for example, with the, yeah, with that, the story around the note, registering all of the members as, as, as the notaire. You know, personally, I don't think that's necessary. We've all got our, our processes of how to how we register our, our members and investors. So even making sure that there is a supportive regulatory framework is really, really, really keen. Um, work making sure that cities, uh, municipalities are really empowered to embrace this movement, so that they understand what the benefits are, that they have enough staff that can support this movement, that they um, can link with energy. Uh, with, with energy communities and citizens to set up um, new projects. Um, one of the things we're doing um, at Energy Cities, we have a project called Life Loop, where we're working with uh, about seven or eight different municipalities uh, in the Balkans and Adriatic, and really just to enable them to, to understand the huge role they have to play in terms of um, offering roof space, for example, um, and also motivating citizens because, you know, local Councils are really uh, an area where people are often they have trust in the in the local local um, councils. So, but yeah, in terms of, sort of increasing awareness and understanding, um, they have a huge huge role to play. Um, and then having some seed funding to enable those these projects to set up. Um, that can be, as I said earlier, like really small amounts, peppercorn amounts to set up the energy community um, but it can also you know there's also a need for larger scale funding to set up these community-owned district heating systems for example and to enable electric mobility that has community involvement too so it really is quite a wide range of different support that's needed um, but the main thing is to make sure that it's a cohesive sort of national approach that's, that's really supporting this movement um, because in the EU, they have the target now of having of every community of 10 or every town or city of over 10,000 people to have an energy community by 2025. So there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done to enable that uh, ambition to be realised. On the other hand, there is also a huge amount of information, tools and resources. Um, the Energy Communities Repository website, for example, has over 120 different tools and resources that people can access. Um, so we really need to be sharing this sharing all this information and these different programs and then finally at energy energy cities we're also developing this espresso training course for municipalities to really help them understand their role and empower them to to take a lead uh, in, the, in this area to set up new projects um if i may and i have two questions related a bit to current discussions here in brussels so one is how easy is it at the moment for a community to be one part of a PPA because we see this newfound love for PPA as part of the power market design reform. Um, and if you are happy with, with, with the proposal or you think it can work. Uh, and then secondly, what your view is about the idea to have renewables gas communities as put forward by the European Commission in the gas and hydrogen package, which was published like one and a half years ago. Yeah, sure. Um, in terms of community involvement in power purchase agreements, I think that's that's really, really good. I think, again, some of this stuff isn't always immediately implemented on the ground. So, for example, we're working um, with a municipality in Croatia and there it's really, really tricky for them at the moment to say, for example, in their power purchase agreement or in their tendering processes, right, we really want community energy to be part of this and therefore we can award, let's say, extra points to um, any organisation that has community benefit as its main mission statement uh, to be to, yeah, to, to win extra points at the, at the tendering process. Uh, they really just have to keep it as a level playing field and unfortunately that means that often it's the, it's the energy... Um, it's the energy providers that that have the lower that that offer the lower cost uh, pro proposals that win. So yeah, we definitely need more integration of community energy. But there are really good examples, for example, in Belgium, where uh, where municipalities are able to tender and have um, communities involved in the power purchase agreement. So we definitely need to be learning from those examples and expanding those to to different um, member states. Um, yes, in terms of the gas communities, I mean, 
we don't really feel that there was any need to introduce that already. You know, we've got these two different definitions of energy communities uh, in Europe. So that's already quite complex and quite difficult to to sort of manage. Um, you mean energy communities you know. and renewable energy communities, yes, right? That's right, which are yeah. extremely similar. But yeah. yeah, so that creates confusion. So that's one of the main things I would say, you know, we, we don't really need to add any more com complexity to this whole movement. We need to be building on the awareness and enthusiasm for the movement. Um, they um, Also, they're not really needed because you can already, as an energy community in most member states, you can already provide um say biogas for example through uh, gas grids and, and be, participate um, in that in that area you don't need to set up a gas community energy project or have a new legislation to enable that and then the third thirdly the risk is that by opening this up it enables the larger like gas companies for example to to, to get involved and potentially to to sort of hijack the movements it's yeah so i really feel it's not needed we, we can already do community biogas and, and biomass projects for example um we don't need an extra layer of legislation and complexity and risk um that could potentially be taken over by corporate interests and i thank you so much really interesting conversation uh on the podcast this week um and i hopefully interested some of our listeners in energy communities to find out more um Before we go, uh, one thing we ask all of our guests is if they could look into their crystal ball, what does the energy transition look like in 10 to 20 years' time? Um, so for me, as a, I don't know if it's a crystal ball or whether it's just my personal wishes, but uh, in the next 10 years, we would have moved away completely from fossil fuels. All homes and buildings would, would be hugely insulated um, in, a, in a good way, so that they're healthy homes, so that nobody's living in energy poverty, um, all of the... Local energy production would be uh, will, will be clean and renewable, using local resources. You know, not not bringing in biomass from all around the world. Really looking at what there is locally and using as much of the local sustainable resources as possible. Would have community involvement uh, in 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 energy in energy in all levels. And uh, municipalities would be leading the way, working with with local stakeholders, with businesses, with citizens to really empower everybody to have a healthy, affordable home and community. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, that sounds like a, a very much an aspirational but uh, achievable uh, goal for the energy transition. Um, fingers crossed. Before we go then, uh, let's quickly run around the table and um, I'll ask what caught your eye in the last week or so. Uh, Jan, let's begin with you. What caught your eye? Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, found an interesting report uh, by the European Commission. Um, this is on the industrial net zero Uh, act um, in response to the industrial, uh, sorry, Inflation Reduction Act from the US. And it's looking at how much domestic production there is uh, from diff different technologies. Um, so that, that that's a pretty interesting resource that hasn't been widely read, I think. So I'm going to suggest uh, our listeners to take a look at some really interesting stats in there. Perfect. Thanks, Jan. Yeah, uh, listeners will be able to find a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Michaela, what caught your eye? I'll do some promotion this time for an Agora study that came out recently. Um, it can be a bit relevant also to what we discussed today. Um, we uh, we investigated uh, the challenge uh, and the need to manage the phase down of the fossil gas distribution grid in Germany. Uh, and came to some in interesting conclusions about, you know, the, the cost savings and the grid tariff differences if you compare a managed phase down versus an unmanaged. Unmanaged also means that at the moment the incentives are maybe not the ones you would need for decarbonization. Um, and I think it can be an interesting read also for actors at the local level to understand really the direction of travel. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, really interesting topic. I've seen a lot of discussion about that on uh, the social media channels. Uh, Anna, what caught your eye? Um, well, again, it's slightly self-promotion, but when I was uh, preparing for our interview today, I was looking at um, Energy Cities um, and some others in Rescue um, published a report recently um, 
uh, called scale under the scale 20 30 50 program um, looking at how the role municipalities can play in energy communities and it really is one of those really really useful guides which sort of takes you through from the beginning to, to the end looking at how you finance the projects looking at amazing examples you can build on you know there's no time to reinvent the wheel so I would really recommend having a look at that in terms of resources and a final one I just wanted to mention is under the life loop program we also one of the things we found in the UK when I was looking at um, community energy projects so we raised 300,000 in four days we're like that's oh, brilliant we're gonna you know we're gonna go zero carbon in no time it's gonna you know so amazing to have so much interest and 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 enthusiasm from the local community but we went around knocking on doors and visiting the industrial estate um, and we couldn't find any landlords that, you know, they were like, well, that's good, but I'm not sure we're going to be here 20 years time. And, you know, I'm not sure it adds another layer of complexity, although it's, you know, you save money through it and you save carbon emissions. It's good for PR, um, but we're not really sure that, you know, we've got time to engage with that. Um, and so one of the projects, one of the resources we're developing is a res um, an asset matchmaking tool whereby municipalities, businesses, um, private landowners um, can can list their assets, their, their homes, their, oh, sorry, their buildings, their lands, their land um, and different resources that they're interested in having community energy put on. And then you can go onto this, um, onto this database as an energy community, put in your postcode and find the local asset holders that are interested in engaging in this movement because you know, we've all got so much time, so much limited, so much to do, so much limited time. Um, so if we can really just be looking at how we can make things as easy and simple as possible and link up uh, these asset holders with the community energy projects that want to take place, that would make a huge difference. So, yes, I'm afraid it's another more self-promotion that's also available, will be available on the Energy Cities website soon. Perfect. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Anna. Yeah, we'll add a link to the show notes as well. For me, uh, the the launch of the new European Hydropower Alliance um, really caught my eye. Uh, big companies are involved, Statcraft, EDF, NL, Iberdrola, EDPR, Vattenfall, Angie, Uniper, some really big uh, uh, power companies uh, really come together to promote hydropower use in Europe. And I think that's really interesting, obviously. Um, growing that and, and stabilizing that sort of firm energy power that we've got there uh, that's carbon-free uh, is really interesting and trying to use that as well as a storage um, tool as well, I think could be really interesting and an interesting uh, time to launch uh, this alliance. Uh, so there's some really big names behind it. So uh, I'll, be, I'll be watching that with interest to see how that develops over the coming months. You know, I think that was because literally everyone else, including biogas, got included in the Net Zero Industry Act as a, right. you know, techno technology for the future. And, and they weren't. And I think they're also not in the IRA, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why they are not in there. And they, I think they feel excluded <laughs> now that they, they are the only ones who are not I in. I think overlooked, I think. And, you know, I don't know whether perhaps hydro capacity can necessarily grow within Europe. There's probably not many sites left that we could um, utilize, but we can surely um, upgrade the technology, upgrade the turbines, use, say, install pumped storage um, technologies uh, at these sites um, and use the power use the power in a better way uh, with digitalization and things like that. So yeah, and I think that's a quite interesting um, topic there. Perhaps we can dig into it later at another podcast. That's all we have time for this week. My thanks to Anna, Michaela, and Jan. If you have any thoughts or questions about anything we have said on today's podcast, you can reach us on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at DaveW underscore Foresight. Anna? Uh, it's energy-cities.eu. Jan? I'm on Jan Rosenau. And Michaela? At CitizenSane1. If you have any questions for the team, you can also tweet the show at WhatMattersPod or email us at show at whatmatterspodcast.com. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you again next time.